Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Friday, April 28th starts now. On today's show, it's Oh What a Week and returning for Oh What a Week, comedian, writer, political strategist, Rachel Jarofsky. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and so much more. If you like columns from Ben Jarofsky, they're all there. Just go to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this the best and the brightest brains of Chicago Friday. And here's why. Actually, we're not really calling it that. It's oh, in a week. My dearest daughter, Rachel, R-J, Ray J, is my uh, co-host for today's segment. And uh, we'll be breaking down all the news of the day. but. I'll get to the best and the brightest after this very important announcement that Rachel is going to deliver because Rachel and producer Chris came to the conclusion that I am too baby boomer incompetent to deliver this message in any coherent and clear way that will deliver the message I want to deliver. Furthermore, they are joined in this opinion by one Maya Dukmasafa, my partner in crime at First Tuesday who really has come to the conclusion that I am incapable of giving information that people need in the computer age to go see a first Tuesday show. So without further ado, I'm going to turn things over to Rachel. Ladies and gentlemen, you just listen. I'm going to take notes as a millennial explains how to get tickets to first Tuesday. Ray J, take it away. What up, everybody? Rachel Jarofsky, social media manager for the Benny J Show. First Tuesdays is coming at you fast and quick. I'm talking it's May 2nd. That's Tuesday. If you haven't gotten these tickets yet, you need to run, don't walk, because they're flying off the shelf. Hit our Instagram, at Benny J Show. Tickets are in our bio, in our link tree. Mayan Ben's first Tuesday. So hit our bio on Instagram. Hit that link tree. Get those tickets. We also have it in our story. This is Tuesday, May 2nd at the Promontory. Tickets available via our Instagram, at Benny J Show. Run, don't walk, okay? This is going to be the creme de la creme of lefty Chicago politics. This is where you want to get your news, okay? And you know what? While we're at it, is if we sell out, then my dad said that he will fly me in to host the next First Tuesday. Uh, so if you want to see me host the next First Tuesday with some finesse and get you some live comedy where you're getting your live politics, then sell out this First Tuesday. Wow, that was <laughs> above and beyond the call of duty. Hear that, Maya? Now that's how you promote a First Tuesday, all right? And uh, so once again, the promontory is in Hyde Park. Little some baby boomer details, okay? 
uh, at 5311 South Lake Park in Hyde Park. Just GPS it. All right, stop acting like you need the address, okay? <laughs> Look, Rachel, automatic I get mad. <laughs> so mad. I get mad. Just, why are you asking me these questions? Just GPS. It's what you do anyway, right? When was the last time any of you got anywhere without GPSing? All right, just GPS. Promontory. Do I need to spell it for you? Jeanette Taylor will be there. Uh, Maria Haddon will be there. Uh, Alderwoman of the 49th Ward. Maya's Alderwoman. Uh, and JT, everybody's favorite Alderwoman from the uh, 20th Ward, will be there. We'll be talking politics, Chicago politics, probably do a little Trump talk, but mostly council reorganization. Man, we're going to get down and dirty uh, with the future of the Chicago City Council uh, under uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson's. So be there. Don't be square. All right. Now, let me get back to my point that I was about to make before we went on that first Tuesday tangent. And this is this, the best and the brightest. I am taking immense delight, immense delight in the coverage that mainstream Chicago is uh, offering uh, regarding the transition team of Brandon Johnson. Brandon Johnson, of course, the newly elected mayor, city of Chicago, will be sworn in in May. Uh, and already the preparation has begun for a smooth transition. We need a smooth transition. That's always like a big thing in the city of Chicago. We need that smooth transition like an airplane landing. Uh, as such, he's gathered some of the best and the brightest brains in the city of Chicago. And they got them all dressed up, too. Absolutely none of them look shabby like I do. Like, Rach, look at me right now. Look how I'm wearing. No one looks like this. All right, they were wearing ties. They got their hair combed. No one's wearing a bull's hat. They look very respectable and grown up. Because it's very important for a lefty mayor or a mayor elected by lefties to look very important and grown up. Man, I, you I, don't look so bad. You look straight out of Old Navy. You look straight out of the Gap Outlet. That's fine. It's not, no, it's not fine if you want to be on a transition team. Can you imagine someone dressed like me being on a transition team? I don't think so. You know, like, is there one person with a bull's hat on the transition team? I don't think so. Okay, all right, you know that. Then <laughs> uh, could you take the hat off and put a tie on? The reason is that you have to look grown up and professional is because that's part of the package of what? Being grown up and professional. And we need grown ups and professionals to run the city of Chicago. And I just get a kick out of this, you know, because I always laugh like the Tribune and Cranes are complaining because not enough what? Not enough Chamber of Commerce types are on the transition team. And I was like, you know, I lived through all the transition teams of all the mayors uh, that the city of Chicago, in its infinite wisdom, decided to elect. I'm thinking now of Mayor Richard M. Daly and Rahm Emanuel, that uh, Chicagoans just absolutely adored so much that they elected him. I forget how many times I've lost track. Six, seven, who knows? It's too many, whatever it is. Uh, and the point is, that some of the most horrendous decisions that the city of Chicago has made over the last 30 or so years were either rubber stamped by the best and brightest brains of Main Street Chicago, by the best and brightest brains of conventional Chicago. They were either rubber stamped by them or those best and brightest brains just looked out the other way and said nothing out of fear of angering our all-powerful mayors daily or wrong. I'll just run down a list. Parking meter deal. 
took an asset worth $10 billion, sold it for $1 billion. I can't recall one person, one Chamber of Commerce type, one person that the Tributor Cranes wants to sit on a transition team put together by Brandon Johnson who had the guts to stand up to that. The only people I know who stood up to it were Tony Preckwinkle, Scotty Wagesback, Leslie Hairston, and a few other aldermen that people have already forgotten. So stop acting like best and brightest brains of Chicago are ever going to say anything in defiance of some stupid privatization scam that the mayor has uh, signed on to. The Olympics. People don't want to talk about the Olympics. They want to pretend like it didn't exist. But that was a blank check that the city of Chicago was offering up for a boondoggle. We now learned that the Olympics that uh, Chicago was seeking in 2016 and eventually went to Brazil was a total fiasco, lost billions of dollars. That would have been on the backs of Chicago property taxpayers. Not one person from mainstream Chicago rose to oppose that. The only people who opposed it were like malcontents on the fringes. The very people who would never get on any transition team anywhere. It was like every single media outlet supported the Olympics. Every single corporation supported the Olympics. All our mainstream celebrities supported the Olympics. The people of the city of Chicago and poll after poll said, we don't want to pay for the thing. And, and yet they were rubber stamping something that we were going to have to pay for. The list goes on and on. I can talk about the Amazon deal. All of mainstream Chicago was for the Amazon deal. They wanted to spend untold Millions, perhaps billions, wooing Amazon, getting Amazon to build a corporate headquarters in the city of Chicago, offering Amazon whichever prime real estate locations they wanted. They're yours, Amazon. Take what you want. Downtown, River, North, River West, South Loop, wherever you want to go. We'll give it to you. Now, of course, post-COVID, the whole notion of spending Billions and billions of dollars on essentially a commercial real estate deal is preposterous. Nobody's going to their office anymore. We, we're going to have like a significant crisis in our downtown uh, business real estate industry until we figure this out. Are people going to go back to offices? If they don't go to back to offices, who's going to fill those offices? Well, it was just three years ago that the smartest people in the city of Chicago We've got the nicest ties, the best haircuts, and never wear bulls hats, and are always on the transition teams. We're all going, yes, pay whatever it takes to get Amazon to come here. Do Offer them whatever property they want. Keep us in the dark. Don't tell us any details because that's the way Amazon wants you to play the game. And somehow or other, we want them guiding the future. I could go on and on. I could talk about the TIF program. None of them ever spoke out against the TIF program. None of them ever told you that TIFs are a tax hike. And you wonder why your property tax bill is so high. The best and the brightest conventional main street thinkers in the city of Chicago never have told you. They've never owned up to the fact that TIFs raise your property taxes. It's only malcontents on the fringes that tell you things like that. And then we'll close with the gambling casino, which somehow or other is going to, what, fix our pension problems in the city of Chicago? It's going to raise the money for our pension obligations. So we're going to soak the suckers and the saps who throw away their money 
on gambling. The whole freaking scheme is set up so that they lose. You think there's going to be enough money from squeezing them to pay out police and fire pensions? I can't recall any expert who even did an analysis, the plus and the minuses of having gambling in the city of Chicago. Generally, what's speaking, the folks who know or are in a position of knowing because of their expertise or their professionalism don't have the courage to tell a popular, powerful mayor what he or she doesn't want to know. So what good are they on a transition team? Just give me a few malcontents with bull's hats in their attic, railing and ranting into a microphone while they look at an alley. That's who should be running the city of Chicago. All right, without further ado, Rachel, do you have anything you want to weigh in on that before we move on to what I really want to talk about today with you? No, I mean, it'll, it's, I hear, no, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying. It's, it's like, uh, I wouldn't call it, honestly, uh, dad, would you, my question for you is, would you consider this a red flag for the brand, for the Brandon Johnson administration of who is on this transition team? No. And I'll tell you why. Um, first of all, I'm just, Hitting and joking about the look. Absolutely have to be gross. If I were advising anybody who wanted to go to work in government, I would say, don't look like me. Don't this is like famously me. coming from the man who once <laughs> wore a woman's belt to be on public television. Um, no, I wore a woman's belt to a an award ceremony uh, that was thrown <laughs> by journalists. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to get all dressed up. And I told uh, Rachel's mom, my beloved wife, who really is stylish and really could fit into the transition team with her look. Right, Rachel? I mean, mom could totally fit it on that transition team. With I mean, she'd probably be, like, cooler than the transition team. That is true. She could be styling the transition team people, okay? Uh, you get their hair looked the right way, get the clothes the right way. Uh, so anyway, she, I go, I'm going to this journalistic award dinner. I want to look really professional for this journalistic award dinner, right? And so she just very nicely laid out the clothes I had to wear. Unbeknownst to me, the pants that she wanted me to wear, wear, wear uh, that she wanted me to wear, were on top of one of her belts. I didn't realize. <laughs> I didn't realize the belt was just happened to be on the bed. I thought I went with the pants. I put the belt on. I went down. I was walking around with this woman's belt on. And ladies and gentlemen, all the great minds of Chicago journalism saw me. How you doing, Pam? Good to see you. They pat me on the back. Not one of them noticed I was wearing a woman's belt. It was only when I got home, my wife said, why are you wearing my belt? And you said, gender's dead. This is like in 2010. You're way before your time. Benny J murdering gender since the early 2010s. It was probably, you know, I had the blog. I, I, it was probably around 2010. You're right. Yes. I was so far ahead of my time. Uh, anyway, so, uh, yes. So, but back to that. So do you think it's a red flag that it's like he's getting these regular, degular kind of oh, Joe Schmoes we've seen before? No, first of all, he's he's stocked the transition team with a lot of people we don't usually see. So I, I applaud him for that. That was the criticism. The criticism from Tribunes and Cranes uh, and is that uh, he didn't put the usual suspects on. 
to me, the usual suspects are the one who got us in trouble in the first place. Why would you want them on a transition team? You know, why would you take advice from someone uh, who got us here? All right. So that's that's like the part I laugh at. Uh, So, no, I and if he does put a couple of of them on, I understand why he's doing that. He's trying to reassure, uh, you know, tribunes and cranes that he's not like a a radical lefty that he works with all uh, that he's open to people who would never support his campaign in a million years, that he's open to people who oppose the Chicago teachers union when they went on strike to hire more social workers and counselors who somehow believe that our public school system would be better if we had fewer social workers and counselors and librarians. That's sort of the position of the mainstream thinkers that uh, the Tribune and Cranes wants on the transition team. So I think that he has to show those people that he's open to them, uh, even if they have never shown that they are in any way open to people who elected him, if you follow what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. I understand that. It's Look, the world's not fair. There's double standards, and um, that's just the way it is. Uh, there's no – Mayor Rahm and Mayor Daley were under uh, – no pressure to put lefties on their transition teams, name lefties as their advisors, and they didn't. There was no lefty, self-respecting lefty anywhere near either one of those two mayors. But Brandon Johnson, you better put him on or Chicago will become Detroit. So that's- Dad, this is your way of asking to be on the transition team? This is your pitch. This is your pitch for the transition team to be on the transition team. Uh, yeah, it's true. I want to be. With don't, I don't look the part. <laughs> it's it started with I don't look the part. You saw through. You saw through what I put up. Yes, I want to be on the transition team. I want to be on the transition team. I want to be in the transition. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Wow. That was. Where did that come from? I feel pretty and so witty. All of a sudden, I'm singing the soundtrack from West Side Story at the thought of me, the ugly duckling growing up to be on the transition team. I want to be on a transition team. There's like a montage of you like getting ready for your first day on the transition team. And it's like you're choosing between like a bull's hat and like a businessman's fedora. And you like you like pick up you start to pick up the fedora and then you're like no i gotta be me you put on the foot you put on the bull's hat only this time i put it on backwards to really make a statement even though personally i've never liked wearing a bull's hat any hat backwards just saying that for the record all right yes i think rachel just exposed me uh for the fraud i am i want to be on the transition team all right, Rach, uh, let's move on to what I really want to talk about and uh, what you really want to talk about as well. I have many, many thoughts on this particular subject. Okay. Uh, and I'm just going to read the headline uh, from the uh, New York Times. I've read about four articles about this gentleman today. Uh, here's the headline in the Chicago Sun-Times. Jerry Springer, host of Wildly and Wildly, excuse me, host of Wild and Wildly Successful Chicago Talk Show, dies at 79. I love that. That is so funny. That is so Chicago. That is so Second City. That is so we don't matter. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, yes, the show is recorded in Chicago. And yes, Jerry Springer lived in Chicago. And yes, uh, when he died, he lived in suburban Chicago. But it was not a Chicago show. It happened to be recorded in Chicago. We're important. We matter. We're significant. 
you can't have it both ways. You can't complain about how outrageous and embarrassing the show is and then go, it was ours. It was Chicago. It made us significant. Sorry, didn't go there, Rach. Anyway, uh, you know a lot more about Jerry Springer than I do, so take it away with your thoughts on Jerry Springer. Yeah, what can I say, Dad? I'm in mourning. I... I used to watch Jerry Springer as a kid, sort of whenever I was homesick from school. And it was one of those shows, there was sort of like a hierarchy, a trash hierarchy of like those daytime talk shows. Um, and that, that you know, that, and if we were to rank these talk shows, and, and the, those talk shows include like your Maury Povich, your Ricky Lake, your Sally Jesse Raphael, Montel Williams, you know, like, and I, I feel like multiple of them must have been filmed in Chicago. Of course, Oprah, which, which was daytime, but definitely not in the same caliber. I mean, not trashy. Uh, and sort of like if you were supposed to, if you were to like rank those shows from like least trashiest to most trashiest, uh, Jerry Springer would be hitting most trashiest. You know what I mean? Like or or put differently, least ratchet to most ratchet. Jerry Springer's winning most ratchet all the time. Like I knew that they're watching these shows. I was like, I kind of had a sense of like which ones dad you and you and mom would have take greatest issue with me watching ricky lake i knew you liked her from her acting work so that in my mind was okay to watch but i knew i knew jerry springer was like something that i wasn't really supposed to be watching you know it was it was definitely guilty pleasure meets like is this allowed so I would, whenever I would watch it, I'd kind of like put it on low, you know, and, and be ready to like turn off the TV at any moment uh, whenever, really you, you were the one that would be home whenever you would come, you know, if you were going to be coming downstairs. But like, what can I say? That show was just, I, I mean, it was epic. All right. So go into an explanation of what it was about the Jerry Springer show uh, that you liked so much and why you thought it was significant. And folks, take in mind uh, that Rachel prepared for this episode by doing a deep dive into some Jerry Springer episodes. So you've recently watched uh, some of Jerry Springer. Go. Jerry Springer was just, it was wonderful, absurdist character studies. You know, it was like... Jerry Springer brought the fringes of society to his show and in all of the fringes of society in all of the diversity that it accrued. You know what I mean? We're getting a lot of different types of crazies coming on the Jerry Springer show. And he gave voice to them all uh, and in, in a sort of like non-judgmental fairly objective fashion like it it didn't feel as if uh jerry springer didn't he didn't it didn't feel as if he was like making fun of these people he was just objectively presenting these absolutely insane characters uh on his show and and it 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 always delivered it was always funny uh, I, 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 it, it, I always sort of wondered, like, 
was it real was a question that I often had, like, you know, watching, I'd be like this, you know, such episodes included like a man who's married to a horse, you know what I mean? Just like crazy stuff. And, you know, the guy would come out and be like, uh, my neighbors have issues with the love of my life. And Jerry Springer would be like, all right, let's meet the love of his life and out clumps a horse, you know, like this type of stuff was just like, it was just no frills. Um, and, and Jerry Springer managed to be like in the muck with it all, you know, like he, he had this way of just of being the common man's champion or the regular degular Joe's champion. And I feel like that was also very cool to see from like a, a person who's Jewish. You know what I mean? Like Jerry Springer being Jewish is definitely factors into like why I like him so much because he's like he's your he's your like average joe every, everyday man's man um and also an american jew and you like don't always get both of those like he's not like jewish cultural elite controlling uh controlling you know uh, the country and the and the media like no he is given voice to the quote unquote voiceless like he is like televised populism led by a jewish man and that's pretty cool to see uh by the way i have to ask you this so um all those years that you were uh, watching uh, jerry springer uh in, in in the house when you're growing up and i yeah. was the guy uh, and i would come through and you would be like worried if i saw it did you ever like flip like you hear me approaching the TV room and then flip the station to Arthur or something. And then suddenly you're watching, you know, a, a channel 11 show. Did you ever do something like, like that where you would cover up watching Jerry Springer? It would have to be turning it off all the way because it was like, uh, there were only certain, first of all, if Arthur was on, Arthur's getting watched. So <laughs> that's, let's just say that. And there was only so, you know, I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of TV. So watching Jerry Springer, like I was knowingly surpassing my quota for the day or, or my my allowed, you know, amount of TV for the day. So it, it was it, I couldn't really pull the flip the switch back because I at that point was not allowed to be watching at all. And I I think maybe explicitly I was told that I was not allowed to watch Jerry Springer just because it was so just so trashy. I mean dad, I was I was really watching clips from episodes um on YouTube last night and it, it was absolute it was golden. It was absolutely good. Give me an example of some of the stuff you saw uh on the YouTube deep dive. Well something that was really interesting is like Jerry Springer gave like a gay was an early early gave early airtime to transgender voices an early proponent of transgender representation, lots of trans representation on that show. And, you know, it, it wasn't always politically correct, certainly not by 2023 standards, but like, you know, I'm talking like 2000, uh, you know, Jerry Springer would be having trans women come on a show. Uh, I think like under the guise of like the concept of the show would be like, It'd be like a catfishing show. So it'd be like, you you know, these two individuals met online and I've been like building the relationship and like, 
you'd meet the poor schmuck would just which would you know just be the weirdest weirdest guy possible you know usually from like missouri or something who'd come out with like a bouquet of flowers and be like yeah i i haven't had like the best uh uh track record dating i haven't had a whole lot of luck so i'm just uh really excited to finally meet nancy we've been talking for months online you know what i mean and and, and so and the audience is just like getting geeked because they know nancy is not who this man <laughs> thinks nancy is and so Jerry then like welcomes out Nancy and out comes like, you know, Nancy, who's probably like a 250 pound trans woman. And she's like, you know, I have something to tell you. Uh, I'm a man, which is just like, that's not how we talk about trans women. You know, trans women aren't actually men. But uh, but still, it was just like you know, we were being shown this content at a time when we're not seeing trans people on TV at all. Um, and I think Jerry Springer had a way of like respecting, um, or at least acknowledging their gender representation, um, in a way that was like, uh, that managed to be affirming. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so the, so those those catfishing episodes were very good. Uh, you know, come meet. You know, Nancy is not who you think she is, and then and then usually the guy would be like the 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 poor schmuck who got catfished would be like, well, I'm willing to try anything once. You know what I mean? And then like <laughs> him and Nancy start like making out, and the crowd just erupts like Jerry, Jerry. So I don't know stuff like that. You know, it was like <laughs> the Jerry's. It's like the people are being. Uh, you're kind of rooting for these freak shows. Uh, Jerry Springer had a way of getting you to, to root for the weirdos, which I, which I think is admirable. And the guy had such a crazy career. I mean, on top of all this, he was mayor of Cincinnati. What? Like, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's, it's a, it's a wild, wild origin stories. Well, I'll get into the politics of Jerry Springer in a little bit, but I have to ask you this. Um, after having watched uh, this, you you had this recent deep dive, so it's fresher on your mind. But just even going back to your memories from watching the show uh, in the '90s and uh, the O's, uh, how is Jerry Springer on the issue of race? I mean, like, oh, I would say, I would say, great. <laughs> <laughs> I would say great for his time. First of all, like I would say he brought many people, many people to the televised dinner table, so to speak. Like Jerry Springer absolutely broke racial barriers. First of all, guests, very diverse sort of array of guests on the Jerry Springer show. Um, Maury Povich, another Jewish man who kind of was able to achieve uh, a similar sort of uh, diversity in terms of, um, you know, who came on that show. But uh, Jerry Springer would have like, <laughs> Jerry Springer would like do episodes where Klansmen would come on the show. And, and this is, it's, it's crazy because this happened more than once. Like there were multiple Klansmen episodes on the Jerry Springer show. There'd be like, there was one show where like he brought together a Klansman and like some guy who worked, I think in the ADL, a Jewish guy from the ADL to like 
have a dialogue that very quickly devolved into a fist fight, which is very funny to think of some Jewish guy from the ADL, like throwing bows with a Klansman. Um, but so there was that, there was that episode where, you know, he tried to, yeah, he tried to, you know, promote dialogue between two different sides. And then I, I remembered seeing a clip, seeing a clip of another clans based episode where it's just Jerry Springer, like, schooling maybe six clansmen who are in their robes by the way in their robes on the show uh schooling them about racism you know what i mean like <laughs> jerry springer is just kind of like going off about how racism is wrong so i definitely think he was extremely morally guided and managed to like have convictions and stick to them um, um amidst the absurdity that was unfolding on his show but uh yeah definitely Jerry Springer was anti-Klansman. That's that was that was for sure. Um I uh I just uh the notion of promoting dialogue uh and and like sitting down uh someone from the anti-defamation league with someone from uh the Ku Klux Klan who is in a robe was the Klansman with the ADL guy in a robe or is he just he, he's in a robe and then I believe what sparks a fist fight between uh <laughs> between uh, the Klansman and the ADL guy is that uh the <laughs> the the Klansman removes his hood to show a yarmulke that he's wearing a yarmulke and that is too much for the ADL guy and that's why they start fighting so does Jerry Springer try to act as though they're equals, they're the equivalents, or does he ever step in and say, I'm with the ADL guy over to the K -K -K I think, I think, uh, I th well, admittedly, I, I didn't actually, I wasn't able actually to find footage of that, uh, of that episode. So I just read about it at length. It, th this is kind of now revealing how I spent my, um, Thursday night, but, uh, <laughs> I just like really read about it. Um, I think it's called Clansfrontational or Clansfrontation or something. Um, and so I think it's pretty clear uh, where Jerry Springer, I mean, he's openly Jewish. He's, he's, uh, he was born in London to Holocaust refugees. So I think it's very clear uh, Holocaust refugees, you know, Jewish, German, uh, German Jewish refugees who fled the Holocaust. So I think it's pretty clear on where he stands. Um, uh, but but yeah, really, really good stuff. Really good stuff in general. Uh, yeah. And just for the record, before I uh, take a dive on the politics of Jerry Springer, I just want folks to know it was it was not like like I was that repressive as a parent with Rachel with on TV. Just want you to know uh, that this kid watched every Simpsons episode at least once uh, and many times repeatedly. Uh, just throwing that out there. And plus, um, what was that show with the oldies? You watched the oldies because we didn't have cable. That's where you were deprived. We didn't have cable. But uh, there was, what is it? What's the name of the show? Uh, the, me, me TV. Me TV, man. You watched all those old TV shows. I was encouraging you. Well, that's good TV. Now, that's when TV was good, okay? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll say this, like, I think that I just knew that the I knew that the that the quality of Jerry Springer, that it was not quality television. I think I I watched it sort of shocked the whole time and honestly, a little fearful of what I was seeing. But it's the type of thing where it's like it's a spectacle. You cannot look away. Yeah. It's like a trash fire, you know. Uh, and not to throw any of your friends under the bus, but did, didn't you watch Springer at some of your friends houses? 
uh, that you were hanging out after school. You know, sh- shout out the Day family. I texted <laughs> I texted them last night. R- yeah. R.I.P. Jerry Springer. It was it, <laughs> definitely something I watched over at their house as well. I didn't want to throw the Day kids under the bus, but yes, that's who I was thinking of. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, so here's the politics of Jerry Springer. And I'm going to start by saying uh, he could have been Trump for the left. And when I say Trump for the left, I'm going to say, look, uh, putting aside the fact that Donald Trump uh, is apparently a rapist. We're going to get into the Donald Trump rape trial. Mega, that's your guy. Law and order. That's your guy. Uh, and that he's a grifter and a con man uh, and that he's a phony and a fraud. Uh, and then he stirs up the worst kinds of hatreds and fears and exploits prejudices, bigotry and racism uh, to make more money and gain more power and keep people enthralled uh, in his cult. Putting aside all that, uh, Donald Trump, in his own way, was outrageous. And there's a part of me that welcomes the outrageousness of Donald Trump. I must confess this to you, Rachel. I probably confessed this to you before uh, many times. Uh, and so in particular, this is something that that Dave Chappelle picked on as well. So great minds think alike. Uh, but I remember Dave Chappelle did a bit about this. And I was going, yeah, I felt the same way. And it, it had to do with a moment where Donald Trump was in a debate with Hillary Clinton. And the issue came up with taxes. And Donald Trump just openly admitted, yeah, uh, I, I'm don't want to pay taxes. Nobody wants to pay taxes. All the people that that give her money don't want to pay taxes either. And if they get in, they're going to rig the system so they you won't have they won't have to pay taxes. And in its own way, it was so outrageous and so true. Rich, you know what I'm saying? I'm like mm-hmm. only a total con man running a racist campaign that will win over a cult like adoration could admit the obvious. Uh, and uh, Jerry Springer was outrageous in this. I'm going to read a couple quotes. Uh, this is Jerry Springer. As you, as uh, Rachel pointed out, uh, he was elected to the city council of Cincinnati in the 70s, uh, and uh, he ran for mayor, and he got into trouble uh, when a check emerged, uh, like he wrote a check to a prostitute. So it turns out he was using uh, prostitutes. Uh, and one of his comeback speeches nodded to the prostitution controversy, quote, a lot of you don't know anything about me, he said, according to the Cincinnati Acquirer. But I'll tell you something you do know. My credit is good. In other words, he paid the prostitute for his service. And that's just like such an outrageous, hey, what are you complaining about? At least I paid for the services. Uh, All right. quote. It's very like Trump-like. And uh, here is uh, he was elected mayor of Cincinnati in 77, and he ran for governor of Ohio, addressing the prostitution incident forthrightly in a campaign advertisement. He said, quote, the next governor is going to have to take some heavy risks and face some hard truths. I'm prepared to do that. This commercial should be proof. I'm not afraid even of the truth. And even if it hurts, he's owning up to that. Uh, And then finally, this commencement speech he made. Uh, at Northwestern in 2008, some students objected to him uh, <laughs> showing up. Did you? I know this. I read this, this too. This is just so classic. Uh, and this is what he said uh, to the students who invited me: "Thank you. I am honored." To the students who object to my presence: "Well, you've got a point. I do. <laughs> I do would have chosen someone else. I've been lucky enough to enjoy a comfortable measure of success in my various career." But let's be honest, I've been virtually everything you can't respect, a lawyer, a mayor, a major market news anchor, and a talk show host. Pray for me. If I get to heaven, we're all going. 
I, Rach, I read that this morning and laughed out loud. If yeah. if I get to heaven, we're all going. No, he was funny. And even on his show, like he would just like off the cuff sort of like remarks and responses to his guests were were like just spot on and observational. And he I don't know, he was a funny guy. He was yeah. a funny guy and he had a way of like be, being down in the dirt with America, you know? I, I think that he did uh, in some ways lead to Trump. Uh, he broke all the conventions of what is respectable. And while he's doing this, ladies and gentlemen, let's just point out that here's, and I think there's such hypocrisy in America because while Jerry Springer is having that show in the 90s, and being criticized and lambasted and saying he signifies a decline in American values. While that is happening, Bill Clinton is carrying on in the White House. I can't even call it an affair anymore uh, with uh, Monica Lewinsky, a White House intern, and then lying to absolutely everybody about it. He's basically coercing uh, this uh, intern uh, into uh, giving him blowjobs. And this is the president of the United States uh, and then he's like saying to the, how dare you accuse me of this? This isn't true, even though it is true. Right. Uh, and so Jerry Springer is just out in the open. Bill Clinton's doing it in the back rooms. Uh, and I feel as though when the star report came out and exposed everything that Bill Clinton had been up to, it got harder and harder to distinguish between what was going on. Uh, out in the open in the Jerry Springer show and what was going on in the back rooms with some of the most powerful and quote-unquote respected people who would probably be on any mayoral transition team, uh, if I could add the two uh, parts together. Your thoughts on what I just said? No, it's true. I mean, like, it's there's there's a huge, there's a huge difference between uh, <laughs> there's a mark, there's a huge difference between Bill Clinton's uh, Bill Clinton essentially lying about carrying on with Monica Lewinsky and Jerry Springer saying, Hey, at least, you know, I got good credit. Like those are exactly opposite sort of tactics in dealing with uh, one's personal dirt. Um, and, you know, that's why, that's why it's, it's refreshing to be able, you're right to have someone on the left who's like, just kind of is who they are. Um, and, uh isn't afraid to hide it now it's is it possible to have like a jerry springer type become the face of the democratic party someone who with as as dirtied a past and as like uh <clears throat> embarrassed and and quite frankly as embarrassing a track record as jerry springer become the face of a of, of a political party in the same way that Dr donald trump was able to do like I don't know that it says a lot about the Republican Party that Donald Trump was able to take it over. Um, or maybe it says a lot about sort of the function of populism within the Republican Party that Donald Trump was able to take it over. And that someone like Jerry Springer, who is quite frankly, you know, comparable, wasn't. Not that Jerry Springer had those same aspirations. I think he sort of had his own you know, his, he had his little world and his following and he seemed happy with what it was and where it was. He didn't, he didn't seem have the need to grow bigger like Trump did. 
by the way, I know you you meant uh, little in terms of contrast to being someone who gets elected president, but his little world, he had eight million viewers of that show. There you eight go. Million. And everybody's talking about Tucker Carlson and the power that Tucker Carlson had. Tucker Carlson had three million. Just right. pause and think about that. I mean, that's that's something that's not nothing. You're right. I guess my question would be like, how does uh, how would how did Jerry Springer's show compare to something like, um, come on, what was Donald Trump's uh, You're Fired? What was that show? Uh, the Apprentice, uh, right? Yeah, no, yeah, the Apprentice. Did you the watch Apprentice. that? Dude? Did you? See I did. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't watch The Apprentice. But like, how? How? how what are the? What were? The, what would? I'd be interesting to look at the rating breakdowns between the two. Um, but no, Jerry Springer absolutely influenced the culture. Um, I would say, in a way that, in a way that's similar to Donald Trump. The culture of like the everyday man, um, and and was able to like uh, you know break I guess break down crossover between crossover racial tastes and barriers and what have you because like Trump you know Trump did before Trump became uh, you know a a right winger. And, you know, politically where he was like he was known within, I would say, white and black America, you know, if we're thinking it in terms of that racial binary. Absolutely. Uh, And listen, Donald Trump uh, emulated Jerry Springer in many ways, just like he emulated wrestling pro wrestling. Uh, And that's part of the persona. Outrageous, flamboyant, say anything, do anything. Uh, Just break all the conventions all the rules and again he's doing it on behalf of racism and he's doing it behalf on unfairness and pollution and all these evils in the world uh and hatred of people who are different than you are but that's those are the people he was emulating uh that's the bravado he projected that's what uh i think has won over his cult-like allegiance and the republican party has moved to him and the democrats played a different game the Democrats play as though they're outraged by Jerry Springer. Right. The, the, the Democrats play like you have to be grown up and wear a tie and uh, you have to uh, follow certain conventions. And we're outraged by we're the Democrats spend their time outraged by Donald Trump's antics uh, in, in a way that I'm just like baffled by. I'm like, do you really are you really like when Donald Trump, he had this one gag he did, Rach? This is the funny part of Donald Trump. So he's given this speech, it was an incredibly stupid speech, typical Donald Trump. Uh, and it, I forget, I think it was like accusations that people had made about him. And he had the pages, he had printed out the accusations that they made about him. And he's giving this speech at one of his rallies. And he would take the paper and he would just, This is the accusation. And he would start to read it. And he goes, Who cares? And he would just throw the paper in the air. And then he would read that, Who cares? And the crowd, every time he threw the paper, the piece of paper of the accusation, the crowd would roar. It was straight up Jerry Springer. It's very Jerry, Jerry. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) fight, like, fight, guests fighting on the show was an integral part of the Jerry Springer show. The fact that Steve Wilkos, who started off as a bodyguard or like a bouncer essentially on the Jerry Springer show was able to rise to fame and then have his own career as a talk show host, like speaks to the structure of that show that like 
you know, the, that the that the bot the bouncers themselves who are breaking up the physical altercations between the contestants play such a real role in the spectacle of it all. I mean, look, Jerry Springer, rest in peace, a good one. All right, we lost we lost a good one. <laughs> we lost America's ringleader. Okay, like ringmaster, uh, uh, a real yeah. showman. And not only that, he had good politics. We're mm-hmm. showing a lot of love for Jerry Sperry. He had good politics when he ran for governor briefly, or Senate in uh, Ohio, uh, with like, all the states to run. And he, I think he would have done better in Illinois. But anyway, when he ran uh, for Senate in Ohio, he was running on a, a platform of uh, health care, national health care, which is like, whoa, Jerry, way ahead of your time. And uh, vehemently anti-racist. You know, Jerry Springer, not afraid to get a few robed Klansmen on a show and school them about how people aren't born hating, you know, born racist. Uh, all right. Uh, so we will now move uh, from venerating uh, Jerry Springer to condemning uh, Donald Trump. The Donald Trump rape trial has moved into a second day of testimony, I believe. Uh, and um, uh, Eugene Carroll. Uh, who claims that Donald Trump raped her in the 90s, during the 90s, uh, is, as we speak, on the stand, I think, uh, cross-examination. I shouldn't do two things at once and look at my phone while I'm doing this. But uh, this morning, she was facing another day of uh, cross-examination. I'm just struck by this on a couple of fronts. And I'll just start with the one uh, that uh, I just can't get over, even though everybody tells me I should. And that is the Republican Party has turned itself over to a man. They have a cult-like adoration for a man who's a rapist. And they're in the law and order party. And they want to just lock people up in the city of Chicago and and just throw them in jail. Uh, And they're trying to tell people to be afraid, be very afraid. And the man that they adore and the man that they support uh, has been accused of rape. And uh, E. Jean Carroll, who's making the accusation, in my opinion, is a very credible witness. Uh, I read her testimony yesterday. I read the attempts of uh, Trump's lawyer to break her down. The, I think he, she frustrated him. The judge, in many instances, Rach, uh, had to admonish Trump's lawyer to get, get to the point, stop asking the same question over and over again, stop arguing and a cross-examination you're supposed to be asking questions to elicit information you're not supposed to be making your argument that's for closing uh and so clearly the guy doesn't have uh the facts on his side so what he's doing is trying to uh put on a a show a pageant uh, Mm -hmm. to to, to, like divert the jury i don't think it's going to work i think the jury is going to side with eugene carroll uh, on this matter, and then one, and then it'll be another opportunity for Donald Trump to pull like a a Jerry Springer esque, like not that Jerry Springer would do it, but somebody on the show would do it. Uh, attempt at diversion, where he would talk about how he's being a political victim. He's a, it's a, it's a witch trial, uh, etc. and so forth. Uh, and and then uh, Republican Party will continue to ignore the fact that they, the party, the so-called party of law and order, uh, has turned itself over to the controls of a man who uh, raped a woman in 1996. That's my thoughts on it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I was like, is the, the Joe, what's it, Trump's lawyer's name is like Joe Tacopina or something. I, I mean, he sounds like a complete asshole. Um, just... E. Jean Carroll, I mean, she's really, she is, she, the amount of labor she's putting in right now to 
one talk about your sexual assault but then like essentially they managed to find a lawyer like i guess you are your lawyer in this case like like the trump's lawyer is such a reflection of trump himself and just like his just completely vitriolic and disgusting pig-like culture that surrounds him of 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 just misogyny and 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 rape culture in general like uh Eugene like girl I thank you thank you for doing this like it's it's hard enough to like go up in front of the world go up and talk about sexual assault that you've experienced while the entire world is watching and then you've got this like horrible guy just making you you know i i guess quote some would say doing his job but you know uh, trying to trying to catch you up in in a lie or or make you look or discredit you um i think i read somewhere that she was like i you know i at five times a day i regret coming forward because it's just like it's it's it was you know it was the same thing with uh brett kavanaugh when um gosh I'm, uh, her name is escaping me do you remember the name of uh, the woman who accused brett kavanaugh but uh, it was the same thing when she came forward it's just like there's there's just the cacophony of voices looking to just like shoot you down and silence you is never ending so you know i <laughs> eugene carroll stay strong sis you know keep at it and uh and just keep keep speaking your truth it's also just like to have to like dig into the catacombs of your brain and regurgitate that trauma that clearly you know when you experience something traumatic it's like it's 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 hard to it's hard to just like really express exactly what transpired because it's like your brain is you're disassociating from it but also it's something that happened so long ago so like what a challenge what a challenge to just like what a challenge to tell your story um so yeah i real radical statement i'm taking real radical uh perspective i'm taking i'm applauding eugene carroll okay good job you but well i'm, I'm glad you are because uh by the way it's christine blasey ford uh, yeah christine blasey ford yeah uh the the woman who uh, accused uh brett kavanaugh of assault and i uh uh no there's just this like <laughs> i mean i'm I'm so part of, I always make fun of myself. I'm a baby boomer journalist in the city of Chicago. Uh, and as such, we've been trained to always go to the middle of something. So if you have on one hand, uh, E. Jean Carroll saying that Donald Trump raped me. And then on the other hand, you have Donald Trump saying something along the lines of, uh, she's not my type, meaning suggesting that if she were his type, he would have raped her. If you have right. Donald, if you have Donald Trump saying uh, on tape, uh, you, I grab, I, 
I can grab. I'm proud of the fact that I grab women by their pussies because I'm a celebrity. They let me do what I want. Uh, so effectively, in Donald Trump's own words, he's validating what uh, E. Jean Carroll said he did. Okay. Uh, as a baby boomer journalist, you're trained to automatically go to the middle and treat them like they're equals. That's the training. Uh, in, or even worse and more uh, obnoxious and cynical, you, you take a look at who is more powerful and that's the person you side with because chances are that'll advance your career. So you'll go with Donald Trump. That's how baby boomer journalists have been taught to play the game. Uh, and so it's really hard to break free of that. So it's refreshing when someone just says, yeah, I totally believe uh, E. Jean Carroll. Yeah. I mean, this woman's entire career has been destroyed by what went down. Yeah. And she's having to expose like these traumatic moments for the whole world to watch while this creepy lawyer like taunts and teases and maligns her and rolls his eyes and says, well, why didn't you scream? You know, and uh, she goes, just because I didn't just because I didn't scream didn't mean I wasn't raped. You know, yeah. and so she's yeah. had to say this over and over again. And so over, I, and just just like the level of detail, like I was reading it and it's like, you know, describing someone forcing their fingers inside of you. Like, it's just like, oh, it's just horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, so. I listen, Donald Trump. We'll go back to Jerry Springer culture. Uh, I've heard David Letterman and Howard Stern uh, sort of apologize for their role in elevating Donald Trump uh, because they gave their enormous platforms uh, to Donald Trump on more than one occasion. He was a regular guest on the Howard Stern show and on the David Letterman show. He would come on and he would hawk whatever bullshit products uh, he was claiming he had manufactured be they ties, steaks, wine, who knows. Uh, they would kind of roll their eyes and like, can you believe this guy? And meanwhile, he was using them. He was using their uh, tremendous audience uh, to spread his name, to spread his brand and make it possible for him to get elected president uh, and now take over the Republican Party. And so I've heard Howard Stern and David Letterman sort of apologize uh, for their uh, role in creating Trump. Uh, and but part of that Trump appeal is that this is how he behaves. Right. This right. is how he treats women. And I, you know what, going back to Springer, I never, I'd never heard anything remotely resembling an accusation like that addressed yeah. at Jerry Springer. So, yeah, anyway, uh, really disgusting behavior by Donald John Trump. That's your guy, MAGA. All right, we'll close with a story that uh, illustrates once again uh, how America is divided uh, into different cocoons when it comes uh, to culture. Uh, this is a huge story. As I did, uh, Rachel this morning told me about this. I'm not going to pretend like I knew about it before she told me about it. Uh, and Rachel, after you told me about it, I did the, the mini deep dive. Were you into the story? When yes, someone, yeah. I was in. <laughs> I'm into any like any story about I'm celebrity and popular culture. Pretty much can hook me. I I must confess. Uh, and, uh, and it has to do with uh, the singer Frank Ocean. I'll say no more and turn it over to you. Uh, Rachel, talk about what's the biggest issue uh, in Frank Ocean land right now. There's dozens and dozens of articles uh, in uh, many periodicals and uh, online uh, publications. So take it away, Frank Ocean. Go. 
Um, well, for anyone who doesn't know, Frank Ocean is a millennial uh, R&B pop star um, who uh, really he's from California, a part of uh, this. He uh, emerged out of this um, music collective called Odd Future, very uh, linked to Tyler, the creator um, and sort of that whole camp of people. Um, but he's emerged as this very kind of like elusive and private um artist who uh is got who's kind of unorthodox in the way that he navigates the music industry um and also sort of uh um uh unorthodox in the way he navigates the music industry and also um <clears throat> a bit uh a, a bit um elusive in in just uh what he's going to do next. So he uh has two studio albums, Channel Orange which came out in 2012 and Blonde which came out in 2016. Um and he hasn't he hadn't released he hasn't released an album since uh, 2016 blonde and he hadn't toured um, or really performed live since 2017 um, so when it was announced he was going to be headlining Coachella in 2023 it was like oh shit like Frank Ocean hasn't been he hasn't been outside he hasn't been in public um, for close to what is that like seven years or something um, and so it was there was just all this whispers around like what's he going to do is it is he going to release new music how are things going to look like no one ever knows how to what to expect from frank ocean that's part of his style like he's constantly sort of like surprising people and 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 doing something really different than what people expect uh and so basically he announces that he's headlining uh Coachella fans are going crazy um and he sure enough shows up at the first weekend of Coachella on um April 16th I think it was it was a Sunday and his set is just nothing like people expect one he shows up an hour late two when he finally does show up um he <laughs> he's he does he performs he kind of like creates he or he rather he kind of treats the whole set as like a workshop or a rehearsal so there's these like extremely long two minute pauses in between songs um he's a lot of stopping and starting well he'll like start a song and then stop it and then start again uh he does versions of the songs that's like come on g like no but we love this song can you just give it to us the way we love it like why are you doing this very like strange bizarre version of it um at one point he brings a dj on stage with him who like plays sped up weird versions of his music and frank just sort of jumps around and vibes to it uh <clears throat> also just like the positioning of the stage is is such that like no one can really see him like and you know dad you've never been to coachella i ended up going this year which is this is which is why i was um especially so into this story um but there's like huge uh video there's huge um giant screens that allow you to see the stage and see the artist kind of no matter where you are um in the crowd but <clears throat> the stage is set up that like you can uh, 
you can barely see him unless you're maybe be, unless you're like at the front of the stage. So really, the performance could only be described as just a colossal letdown. Um, and then twelve fifteen runs runs around twelve fifteen a.m. and you see him. This is after like. There's been 90 minutes of buildup. Like the fans are just like, okay, what are you going to give us? Like there, this is, there's got to be some sort of payoff, be it like some fast songs, some hits, some bangers that we could dance to, or just like the release of new music. Um, but 12:15 runs along, rolls along, and he has a back and forth with like, I, I want to say his drummer or someone in his band. Maybe not the drummer, that wouldn't really make sense, but he has a back and forth with like someone uh in the band. And he comes on mic and sort of sheepishly is like, well, I'm past curfew. So that's the show. Gotta go. And fans are just short sort of like, what? What was that? Like the fuck? Like I just paid what? Like 300 plus dollars to like see this guy headline Coachella and he like treated it like a rehearsal um scares me now from my perspective uh i had you know i kind of come into this because i got i, I had uh was uh, was given free tickets to coachella um for sunday specifically not the first weekend but the second weekend and everybody knows that coachella is two weekends long and so i was like <clears throat> okay uh i was a little bit like well i well the thing was they were free tickets. So it's like, whatever happens, happens. But I was sort of like, what is his performance going to even look like? Because this sounds incredibly anticlimactic and honestly like trash. Um, but the truth is I never really got to find out because the week between the first weekend of Coachella and the second, he drops out altogether. Um, and his PR people say that he cannot perform the second weekend due to a broken, due to an ankle injury, a sprained ankle. Um, so yet again, sort of Frank Ocean um, subverts everyone's expectation, unfortunately, um, with a bit of a letdown performance and has now sort of receded back into uh the catacombs of his silence um and i guess we'll see i guess we'll see what uh when he emerges again if ever um but it's brought it's brought up a lot of uh conversation about expectations that we're supposed to have of like our superstars and and um our our pop stars and if they're here to just serve their audience and or you know when we're supposed to give them a break because uh they're humans too but you know for what it's worth my guy was offered $8 million to pay to play uh, both weekends at Coachella. Like, I can't tell you what I would, how I would, if I was given $8 million to perform comedy, I'm fucking putting on a show. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely got the dialogue going around, uh, around um, expectations of, of our, of our pop stars and our, um, you know, pop culture figures. Yeah. No, I, uh, the only thing I was when I was reading the stories and listening to your riff there, uh, in some levels, I'm trying to find a baby boomer example that baby boomers can relate to. Uh, and the one that pops to mind uh, is Bob Dylan, who is notorious for rearranging his songs concert to concert. So you have absolutely no. First of all, the man can't sing. Uh, could never sing. Secondly, he's destroyed his voice by years of bleeding. So now it just his voice is. There is no voice. It sounds like he's, you know, just a drunk at a bar. Uh, and then he'll change the melody. So you can't tell, you can't 
understand the lyrics. There's uh, no coherency to the song uh, at all. It doesn't sound like anything you ever heard. So you've no idea what he's singing. And yeah. Bob Dylan fanatics, like Frank Ocean fanatics, like Donald Trump cultists, are so in love with Dylan Ocean Trump that no matter what Dylan Ocean Trump do, they go along with it. Well, he's yeah. an artist. Leave right. him alone. You right. know? <laughs> so but I'll, I'll tell you what, Dad. So I was at Coachella second weekend, and Blink-182 was uh was the replacement for Frank Ocean and you know Frank Ocean is one of my favorite artists but I'm glad it was Blink-182 because they put on a show like they put on a show they played their hits they did bits in between uh their songs like that shit was entertaining it was a spectacle and like I'm sorry like that is what I want from Coachella personally yeah. yeah uh i hear you listen i have a confession to make i have no idea of any song by blink 182 i know the name but i don't know any songs by blink what about what's my age again what's my age again later on on the drive home i called her mom on the payphone. i said i was the cops and her husband's in jail and then i turned on the tv and that's about that time that bitch hung up on me something like that wait tell me is that blink that's definitely not frank ocean chris is, i bet chris knows chris probably knows the lyrics uh <laughs> don't know that song i may have heard it once or twice uh i confess ladies and gentlemen i stopped listening to popular music in 1979 what a great year that was by the way uh by the way speaking last weekend while rachel was doing that i was at the black ensemble theater watching the earth wind and fire show absolutely fabulous show i just gonna give a shout out to uh black ensemble theater the the, the millennial actor who played philip bailey was sensational and I will not try to emulate him singing. <laughs> I just did. And you just did. <laughs> you know. um, anyway, great job. So, you know, we all have. And later this summer, I've, uh, I'm going to go see. Oh, <laughs> I'm getting so much heat from this uh, from uh, certain friends of mine at the bowling alley. Uh, Lionel Richie and Earth, Wind and Fire. Can't wait. The concert will be at the United Center. Uh, so um, anyway, Rach, a blast talking with you. And uh, thank you for the shout out at the opening. Uh, you yes, put, you get those tickets, y'all, at Benny J Show, uh, May 2nd um, at the Promontory. What time, Dad? 7 p.m. Um, you can get those tickets uh, on our Instagram at Benny J Show. They're in our link tree, in our bio, and they're also on our story. So run, don't walk. Run, don't walk. And I think I'm going to. I had an idea based on our opening riff doing some kind of sketch for uh, our Instagram page where I am uh, dressing up to be on the Brandon Johnson transition team. I, I got a <laughs> Oh, that would be good. <laughs> I have a feeling that's coming soon. I want to be on the transition team just once. I'll be one of those guys who sits at the table and drinks water from a glass and go, hmm, that's a very thoughtful idea. Ooh. Put me on a transition team, coach. Put me in, coach. All right. Uh, thank you very much, Rach, for doing a great job, as you always do. And also want to thank producer Chris, the man to myth, the legend. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more at chicagoreader.com. 
Find The Benny J Show on Instagram at Benny J Show and follow the show all over the internet on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.